HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Vivino. Discover and buy wines wherever you are. Visit vivino.com heritage to stock up. I'm Souther Teague of Amoria Margo and a co-host of The Speakeasy right here on Heritage Radio Network. You know, my favorite thing to do every week is to come here and be on the show. I have lots of jobs. I am a very busy person. Um, and I do this because I love it. I get to sit down and talk to all my heroes for about an hour every week. It's incredible. And I hope that you enjoy it, making a great effort to share with you. And we'd like you to share back with us. It's our summer fundraiser, and we'd love for you to donate uh, at heritageradionetwork.org forward slash donate. You can click on the beating heart, and you can even choose shows that you'd like to donate to specifically. And you can also choose a recurring monthly uh, gift. Uh, and for all that, we'd be greatly appreciative. Thank you so much. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of the latest episode of Meat and 3, our weekly food news roundup. We're counting down the days to the 4th of July, so this week's theme is independence. After all, we're an independent food radio station. HRN is a labor of love. Staff, hosts, and listeners all share the belief that storytelling can change the world, one bite or sound bite at a time. We take a moment to ponder our founding mothers and fathers, specifically what they were drinking during the Revolutionary War. Rum in various combinations with beer and cider would be the order of the day. We highlight a story of self-sufficiency on the island of Vieques, Puerto Rico. The biggest thing we did was to start a lot of fermented vegetables because we knew the first thing to go would be refrigerator trucks coming to the island. And we examine the challenges facing independent grocery stores across the U.S. The struggle is real, but the future looks bright. Tune in to this week's episode of Meat and 3, available at heritageradionetwork.org and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. This week, we're heading down to Avery Island in Louisiana to talk to John Simmons, who is the Senior Manager of Agriculture for Tabasco. He tells us about the family history and how to maintain a brand out for over 150 years. Then we pull from our archives with performance by Johnny Lamb and his pedal steel. So sit back, relax, and welcome to another episode of Snacky Tunes. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Hey, 
had our number changed today, although I hate it too. But each time the phone would ring, they'd want to speak to you. And it hurts to tell them you're not here with me. Maybe then, oh, telephone will let me be. It's not in the book now, so you better write it down. Just in case your love for me should ever come around. You may want to call and break the news to me. Just call Lonesome seven seven two o three. All right, Johnny. Telephone beside me all the time, hoping you might want to call and say you change your mind. If you do, then, darling, you know where I'll be. I'm at Lonesome Seven Seven Two O Three. You're the only one I'm giving our new number to. So if the phone should ring, well then I'll know it's you. You may want to call and have that love for me. I'm at lonesome seven seven. Two o three. Just call lonesome seven seven two o three. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz, coming to you from Avery Island in Louisiana. I'm with John Simmons. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for, letting me, uh, thanks for letting me talk to you for a little while. Yeah, so I, I realize you and I have a very similar culinary tradition that most people are not into. We like Tabasco on our eggs. Where did you get that from? <laughs> Mine was just self-discovery because it was in the pantry and I was so bored of eating eggs the same way. Where did yours come from? So mine actually comes from our CEO, Tony Simmons, who happens to be my father. Uh, he tells me, so uh, this is predates my memory, but he tells me that Sometime around three years old, I looked at him while he was making eggs in the morning and said, I want them the same way you do them, which was with a lot of Tabasco sauce. Uh, that was 35 years ago, and I still can't eat eggs without Tabasco today. Uh, I'm somewhat, I guess, known in having described this as uh, they're in the butter while it's melting in the pan, 
they're in the uh, uh, in the eggs before they're cooked. If depending, you know, if I'm doing scrambled, they're going to be in the mix before I cook them, and then uh, as a condiment on top when I finish them too. Oh, interesting. I'm I'm only a condiment on top. I've never put it in the batter. I mean, have you converted many people? I have not personally. Um, you know, eggs are a great gateway food for, for Tabasco sauce. So you get some converts, but when I tell them about the butter and the batter, they kind of look at me like, I'm just going to put it on top. That's what I know. That's the, the usage I'm most familiar with. And then some people want to do green or chipotle, A, just for like mixing it up, Tabasco green sauce, Tabasco chipotle sauce. Um, but also because, uh, uh, a little milder, a little less heat, a little less vinegar intensity. So you mentioned Tony is your dad. What what was childhood like here on Avery Island? So actually, I grew up in North Carolina for the most part, but I did spend my summers uh, living and working here on Avery Island when I was in uh, uh, in college, and that was really instrumental for me. So I learned uh, the production process really from uh, uh, from the ground up or from the field up, as we think about it here. Um, I worked in our pepper fields. I hoed rows and picked pepper. Worked in our barrel warehouse, learning how to cooper. Uh, worked in our maintenance department, so did pretty much every um, uh, uh, every kind of entry level job we have as a college student. And when I came back to work for the company years later, I think that had served me well because I really uh, had a, a a nice understanding of the product from seed to sauce. And for those of the for those people who don't know what coopering is, what is? Oh yeah, so coopering is the art of making, or in our case, recoopering, which is fixing. Uh, I think we might have made that word up, but fixing barrels so that we can reuse them over and over again. Uh, we age our Tabasco pepper mash in repurposed bourbon barrels for three years, and uh, we reuse them over and over. We can use our barrels as many times as we can keep them fixed and, and solid, so we all have to learn to be good coopers here. I know the company is uh, 150 years old, but how did you land on bourbon barrels? Where, where did that come from? I think it's an accident of history. So when Edmund McElhenney first started making Tabasco sauce, he aged it in clay jars at first, and he would age it for 30 days and 60 days and 90 days. And he found the longer he aged it, the better it tasted, the better the flavor tasted. But he also shortly found, shortly after he started doing this, he found that he couldn't get enough clay jars, but he could get old bourbon barrels. He could get once used bourbon barrels. So it's one of those things that sort of happened out of necessity. But now, 150 years into this, we depend on bourbon barrels. Uh, we've tried other things, and they don't work as well. We get something from that bourbon barrel that's uh, uh, hard to exactly qualify. Do you get to drink the bourbon before you get the barrel? <laughs> is that like, is that a, have you worked out that deal yet? Well, we have a, a wonderful symbiotic relationship with bourbon barrels. It's really great. We used to tell people that uh, uh, we could take, you know, I think Jim Beam famously does this where they take the devil's cut. You know, you could pour water in the, in the barrel and, and uh, get, a little, uh, get a little extra out. We don't do that anymore, um, a little homemade hooch, but we don't do that anymore. But it's still a lot of fun to talk about. And for balsamic vinaigrettes, for example, after a number of years, it doesn't, the flavor doesn't ripen anymore. It's just, you could, you could leave it in there and it's still the same. Um, is the same for Tabasco? Is there a certain age or year cut off afterwards? It's just like, that's the deepest and the most rich the flavor is going to get. It's not as stark as it would be with something like balsamic vinaigrette or um, balsamic vinegar. The, uh, uh, we use three years and three years is kind of a tipping point mm. where you're going to get the most benefit with the least loss. So we do get some loss. Uh, we get some evaporation the same way the whiskey companies would think about the angel share. We get a little bit of evaporation in that barrel. And then we also get some oxidation, which is going to be mash that's darkened uh, beyond the point of us being able to use it. So three years is kind of the tipping point where the amount of loss versus the benefit 
is the best. Now we do have our family reserve product, which is uh, made with Tabasco peppers grown only here on Avery Island, uh, and then is aged longer. Uh, sometimes 10, 12, 15 year old mash is gonna be in our family reserve product. It's gonna be darker, it's gonna be sweeter, it's got kind of almost a cinnamon smell when you smell it in the barrel. It's really profound and different. Not what people expect from hot sauce barrels. Mm -hmm. um, is Angel Share the same name for Tabasco? Is there another name for it? When you lose the stuff to... We call it the... We don't think about it specifically <laughs> that way, but we call it the Angel Share the same way the, uh, uh, the whiskey companies think about it. So um, you mentioned that you were in North Carolina and you were a lawyer. Uh, when you came back, you had to interview for a job here. What was the interview process like, and who interviewed you? So uh, I was interviewed by my family, obviously. We were a family business. Um, uh, there were several of us, I think six or seven of us, that had applied for the job or, or were asked to consider for the job. And I think that's one of the, the complex things about a family business, but it's also one of the neat things about it is, um, you know, I get to work with my family every day. I work for my family. Uh, and you, when you think about Tabasco and, and what we do here at Avery Island and McElhinney Company, one of the other things that's kind of incredible about it is the family extends beyond just us. So we have, uh, uh, if you walked through our factory floor, if you walked through the barrel warehouse, uh, you'd meet folks who have been living and working on Avery Island for generations. Uh, uh, four or five generations is not unusual to have um, folks that have lived and worked around here. And I think that's really a testament. So when you think about then coming to work there, there's a real fidelity to those people. It's not just taking care of, of the uh, uh, members of the Avery and McElhinney family, but there's 215 people that live and work here on Avery Island with us that uh, are, are an extended family, a large extended family. So um, it was uh, after joining the company, it was an 18-month training program that was wow. very similar to those summers in college where it was very focused on the, the actual sauce making, the, the nuts and bolts of making Tabasco sauce, uh, to really earn my chops and show people that uh, 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 you know, I belonged and I was going to be able to do this. Do you remember the hardest question they asked you in the interview process? I don't remember the hardest question I got asked in the interview process specifically. I think the hardest thing about it was just knowing that it was uh, uh, Somebody that I cared a lot about, somebody I was related to, was going to be disappointed. Whether it was going to be me or somebody else, there was no, there was no universe in which there wasn't going to be a little disappointment. Little friendly, or I guess more than friendly competition. <laughs> Family competition. Family competition, the best type. Um, one of the things, um, when you look at a brand like Hennessy, which has also been around for a long time, they have a 10-year apprenticeship program before you can even speak up in the quality control, um, before you can even give your feedback. You have to sit there and listen to the other masters. What is the process for learning how to, because you're so responsible for every single pepper um, in, your, in your role, what is the mash quality control tasting process? How do you learn that? How has that been passed down over the years? I think the most important thing is just wheel time experience. Working in a barrel warehouse, working uh, uh, in country with the farmers, tasting things over and over again with people who know what they're doing. So uh, our mash warehouse is run by a guy who's been at McElhinney Company for almost 20 years, which is kind of incredible because he's 38 years old. Um, he's got a ton of experience for a really young guy and he knows exactly what he's looking for. Um, so learning from him. Uh, he and I worked together actually when we were in college. So uh, uh, having that experience, being able to, to talk to people like that about what you're tasting, what you're seeing. Uh, we also have a sensory team here at McElhinney Company, which um, helps. We 
we train each other up. So we work together on learning all, you know, just the basics essentially, but then from the basics being able to work off into uh, understanding the different flavors in the world. So it's rigorous. Um, it's more experiential than anything else. Uh, there's no set 10-year program or anything like Hennessy, but um, it's, it's, we know who can do it. And uh, uh, one of the other things that's sort of extraordinary about what we do here is everything gets tasted a certain number of times before it goes out the door, but it's not just the folks who are asked to taste things. Uh, if you work on the line, if you work in uh, blending, you're going to taste stuff you're going to taste it all the time, even if you're not on our sensory team. And if you think something's wrong, we expect you to raise your hand. Wow. And people do. And that's extraordinary because at the end of the day, the folks at home tasting Tabasco sauce aren't necessarily super tasters or on a sensory team. They're just folks who want to enjoy great food. They want to make their food taste better. And so that's what we want to have every day, making sure that we're sending that same quality out. When you say experiential, can you look at a mash and know if it's right or wrong? Probably. Smell is the biggest thing. So smell is going to be the, 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 the big catch that I'm looking for. Sometimes it'll be visual. Uh, moisture content is a, is a big thing. Tabasco should be between 60 and 80%, but more towards the 60% uh, on the moisture content. And that's actually more visible than you'd think, particularly once you've seen a lot of pepper mash. Um, and then obviously taste. But one of the other things that's a little complex is that heat is, is there and heat sometimes makes it hard to wrap your mind around all the other flavors that you're tasting. So when you first start tasting Tabasco mash, you're going to be like, man, it's hot, it's hot, it's hot. But you learn to work past that and say like, okay, I got some salt. I got some real flavor here. I got this, that. And, and that leads to uh, uh, that experiential thing we're talking about. One of the things that's come up um, being down in, in Cajun country is the idea of spice versus flavor. Uh, and, and people preferring one or the other or things like that. And a lot of people tend to lean towards flavor. So it's interesting to hear that you have to work through the spice to get to the flavor to educate your palate and, and send out the correct product. Well, particularly when you're thinking about mash, which is going to be the base. So our pepper mash is about 10 times as hot as Tabasco sauce. So, uh, you know, most people think Tabasco sauce is fairly warm, but it also impacts its huge flavor impact around food, particularly as an ingredient, but also as a condiment. And, uh, but when you're looking at that base product that's going to be so much hotter, you've got to learn to be able to say like, hey, this tastes good and it's going to lead to great sauce. Or you've got to be able to say, hey, there's something wrong here, because if all you're tasting is heat, you may be missing some of the flavor that's in there. We're going to take a quick musical break. And then we'll be back with John Simmons here on Snacky Tunes. I'm old enough to fall apart. I'm old enough to fall apart. I'm old
just responsible for every pepper domestically and internationally you're also responsible for evolving uh, Tabasco through the new and modern culinary landscape all the product development all the things that kind of come with keeping a brand relevant is it is it true the first brand extension was in 93 with the green sauce the first flavor extension on in the pepper sauce side was with green sauce we tried some other things um, some pickled products some uh, uh, salsa stuff like that that had never really taken, uh, but our first real line extension in the pepper sauce category is with Tabasco green sauce in 1993. Which is not that long ago now. In a, in a relative scheme. In, in yeah. a relative scheme. And, and how long was it from there that you realized, like, wow, there's a whole new world for us to, to play with? I think relatively quickly. So I wasn't here, but one of the things I'm most proud of that this company did was launch Chipotle sauce in 2001. And if you think about it now, if you look at the context of now, Chipotle is a ubiquitous flavor around the United States, but it wasn't in 2001. Outside of people who were really into food or really into flavor, Chipotle wasn't something, a flavor that most people were familiar with in 2001. So for us to be ahead of that trend, I think was pretty extraordinary. It's a great product. We're really proud of it, but we're also really proud of the fact that we saw this coming, we, were, we jumped out in front of it and were able to introduce a product that was really dynamite. And the more we can do that, the more we can get out in front of flavor trends, the more we can be leaders in this hot sauce category, this pepper sauce category. How do you, uh, I mean, considering that it takes three years for the mash to mature and everything, that's it's still a long time to so commit to a trend to make sure that it's still there. How do you differentiate between something that's a trend and something that's a bit more long lasting? I think that's the challenge with anything. Um, Sometimes you're gonna you're gonna miss. I mean, that's the the challenge of it is you're gonna you're gonna say, okay, this is long lasting, and you're gonna fail. And I think the big thing is you can't be afraid of that failure. What's you a have to, what's a good example of one that you were like, this is for sure gonna stick around by the time it came out. It was already passe. God, that's a great question. Um, I guess what I'll say is this: we started making our first sriracha style sauce about ten years ago. And we went the other way with it. We're like, eh, we don't know what's going to happen with this. Sriracha became ubiquitous, huge flavor trend. 
Uh, obviously, great products are out there. It's, it's worldwide. Everybody's trying it. Um, but it's kind of starting to see a little softness. So um, it was a trend that exploded very quickly. And I think these things are happening faster now, social media, all that kind of stuff. It was a trend that exploded very quickly, um, but is also starting to slow down a little bit. And we have a great Sriracha product. It's a nice offering. Um, we didn't necessarily see coming what came, uh, but we're able to at least you know, offer a product that we're very proud of. Um, we're never going to be the the world's biggest Sriracha company, but if you like Tabasco brand products, we've got a great Sriracha product to offer you. And as you're introducing these new products and, and, and as you're thinking about the ways to continue to evolve the brand, how do you maintain quality? I mean, so many companies will eventually cut back on ingredients or they'll kind of try to cut corners. The product is not varied. It's the same. I, from my childhood, it tastes exactly the same where other people are trying to value engineer it. How do you maintain that level of quality while all be also being experimental and also rolling the dice a bit? I think um, supply chain is the biggest part of it. So we work with a group of uh, farmers and providers on the agricultural side that in many cases we've worked with for generations. Uh, we work on a guaranteed two-year contract and a guaranteed price. Uh, so that gives them some stability to know in an agricultural business, which can be up and down. Uh, obviously subject to weather, subject to all kinds of you know bugs and plant diseases and political instability. There's all these things that get rolled up, but they know, hey, I got a two-year guarantee and a two-year price, and if I can do that, uh, uh, this is going to work really well for me. And so that's where it starts, and it moves all the way through. I think the other thing is knowing who you are. So if you, you know, you can value engineer anything, certainly, and, and take all the, the, the soul out of a product just to, you know, save some margin. Um, but that's very much not who we are. I think we're kind of the antithesis of that. Uh, we move a little slow by our very nature, but at the same time, it means that we're going to deliver uncompromising quality every time. Uh, if the brand proposition at Tabasco is that we're going to make your food taste better, then uh, that's exactly what we have to do. So keeping it as a family-owned business helps with that as well because there's no push from you know Wall Street to value engineer it to keep that um, you know to make that extra point of margin so that they can you know have a nice report. It's uh, uh, it's more about making sure that our name is uh, uh, symbolizes the quality that that we know the product should have. One of the most interesting things that you put out was the Diamond Reserve which I'm staring at right over there, champagne <laughs> bottle. How did that come to be? And, and again, it's like 15 years age, so it had to be started uh, a long time ago to get that in production, to have that idea concepted. So I wish I could tell you that I, we kept some 15-year-old barrels around for the 150th, but it's really not that good a story. We, uh, we put some barrels up in 2003 that were um, actually for a long-term experiment, not for Diamond Reserve sauce, but they just so happened to turn out great. Uh, that's kind of one of the happy accidents of making food. Sometimes you do something for a different reason and it ends up being awesome. Uh, Diamond Reserve, obviously, is to celebrate our 150th. We're tickled to have been a part of so many meals for 150 years as we've been lucky to be in. And uh, uh, it's not something that, uh, 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 that's ever probably going to be more widely released than being here on Avery Island. And and uh, uh, available for our friends, but um, it's a product we're really proud of. We used a, a sparkling white wine vinegar uh, as sort of a, 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 a way to think about celebrating, and then, like you said, uh, some pepper mash that's in that is, is aged for 15 years. 
one of the other categories you were responsible for is sustainability. How does, obviously this is, Avery Island has sustained you for 150 years, you've not overused it, you've farmed out what you need to. How does sustainability factor into this company in 2018 and beyond, both from a footprint and, and resources? So most importantly, when we think about Avery Island, which is where we make all the world's Tabasco sauce, uh, it's also our home. I live here. I live a quarter mile from where we're sitting right now. Um, and I want to continue living here. I want my, my kids to grow up here. I want my grandkids to be able to continue doing this. And so when you think about coastal Louisiana, which is a place where uh, land loss is a real issue, um, we want to not... We don't want to lose what we have, and so as important as Avery Island is to us, it really drives our one of our ways that we think about sustainability, which is the work we do in Louisiana's wetlands. So um, we work with a, a, an alliance of like-minded landowners uh, trying to fund and, and do projects that are going to be beneficial towards marsh restoration. Uh, marsh restoration helps with hurricane storm surge, helps with coastal land loss. We plant... Um, one of the other most important things we do is we plant a smooth cord grass, um, and that's going to help with coastal land loss as well. So that kind of starts it. So thinking about Avery Island is the first part of it, sort of starts it. But then it also just moves through our practices. And these weren't things that we necessarily started doing because we thought of them as sustainable. They just seemed like good ideas to us. So like we reuse our barrels. We don't reuse our barrels because we thought it was some great you know recycling tool. We reuse them because we want to and we're we're able to. We work hard to keep them up. Um, our byproducts, when we make Tabasco sauce, we get these dry byproducts. They're the solid byproducts that are leftovers. Well, we could throw them away, I guess, or we could sell them. And so we've created this industrial ingredients business off selling that. So we really don't like to throw anything away here. Um, and that's, that's worked into our sustainability. And then when you think about developing world agriculture, uh, sustainability is a huge part of that because we want to give people a reason to keep doing this. I depend on the guys I work with in Latin America to produce Tabasco pepper. And if they're not able to conduct it in a sustainable manner, then we can all just go home. So, um, so these guys are out there at the forefront of, of uh, really small stakeholder, low-tech farming. Um, and I think that's, that's a great thing. What has been one of the biggest challenges you've had to surmount in, in, modern, in the modern era of Tabasco to make things sustainable, to keep things on track that a privately held company has the flexibility to do but you think could be a lesson that public companies could take from? Um, so the one that comes to mind most immediately is the levee. So we live here on Avery Island uh, for Hurricane Rita, which was in 2005. We had storm surge water almost two inches, maybe, from coming into our production facility. Uh, had it gone into our facility, that would have been a disaster, obviously. I don't need to tell anybody that. Uh, we built a levee. Um, I think if we were owned by a huge food company that um, was looking at value engineering their supply chain, what they might have done is say, well, we don't need to make Tabasco sauce on Avery Island. That's silly. Um, we live here. And this is our home. And so rather than say, hey, we're going to uproot this and move it to somewhere much higher where there's no storm surge waters, uh, move it to Texas or California or New York or find out the, you know, engineer the best place to make Tabasco sauce. We said, we're going to build a levee around our factory so that we can continue to do this here to make sure that the people that live and work here are going to be able to live and work here. Wow. So 150 years, 
total innovation, rethinking of the business over the years, what advice would you give to a company starting now on how to remain relevant and sustain for all this time? I think staying, knowing what you are, so knowing what your values are, knowing who you are, and then taking that and saying, okay, I'm going to live by these and I'm not going to be afraid to fail as long as I'm doing these things. As long as I'm doing the things that I know work, if we're unafraid of failure, then I think we'll succeed. It may take time, um, particularly uh, uh, if you're doing something that's artful the way making Tabasco sauce is. It may take time, but I think in the end it'll work. John, thanks for joining us. Where can people find you, get this product, come visit you? So obviously Tabasco.com, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, come to Avery Island. We get a bunch of visitors here. We got a great visitor center. We also have the Jungle Gardens, which is a 170-acre bird and plant preserve. You can see some of that sustainability and what we're talking about with regards to, to uh, why it is Avery Island so special. Well, thank you. We're going to take a quick musical break, and then we'll be back with the second part of Snacking Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
You're visiting the in-laws this weekend. They've asked you to bring wine. You need a bottle that says, I'm laid back enough that I didn't think about this choice for hours. But also, I've graduated from Two Buck Chuck, proving I can provide for your daughter and our future children. Where to go from here? Just ask Vivino. Vivino knows feeling pressured in the wine aisle can sour the whole experience. But with the largest wine inventory, Vivino gives you the best price on personalized picks based on your taste profile, then ships them right to your door. Scan wines, compare reviews, save your favorites, and even get unlimited free shipping with Vivino Premium, plus a free 30-day trial. So, when that next visit rolls around, you know exactly what that dry Alsatian Riesling says about your commitment to your mother-in-law's Sunday roast. Visit vivino.com heritage to stock up. Vivino. Wine made easy. So we have Honeyfingers live in studio, and then we're back to talk with them about all things steel pedal and uh, just fucking being amazing musicians uh, here on Snacky Tunes. Okay. Let's do this one in C, Johnny. that funny what you do to me you're my honey as far as I can see and you told me that you found someone new ain't it funny what time can do That funny. Ain't that funny what you do what you do it ain't that funny cause I'm so blue I could love a million girls or two but I'll never be over you even steal for you I could break the law commit a crime or two ain't it funny what love can do yeah ain't that funny ain't that funny what you do what you do it ain't that funny cause I'm so blue I could win a million bucks or two but I'll never be over Oh, one more time, Johnny. I'm gonna hit every bar in this doggone town. Have a smoke. 
pop a pill or two. Drink some whiskey and eat a big old steak too. Ain't it funny what love can do? Yeah, ain't that funny? Ain't that funny? What you do? What you do? It ain't that funny, cause I'm so blue. I could drink a million beers or two, but I'll never be over you. I think I'll have a drink with a girl named Sue, but I'll never be over you. I added the old steak line in there. I had to do that one. It's great. Keep on talking. That's a that's an original that uh, that's Zeph a, wrote. Yeah, it's called "Ain't That Funny." Uh, well, welcome to the show. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Uh, my name's Johnny Lamb. We have Tim Lunsell on the upright bass, and Zeph and I were singing those songs. Uh, Johnny and I met a couple months back, a few months back, uh, when you were out in L.A. or also in London for the William Money Bar show, and just uh, kind of kept running into each other and. I really am, like, the steel guitar is, is still kind of like a mystical instrument. You're the first steel guitar player we've had. Uh, now, wait, I have to interject. Is it, it's a pedal steel guitar, actually, This, this right? one is a pedal steel yeah. guitar. Okay. I love, also love being everyone's first. So. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Never forget. Um, how did you get into the instrument? Which I know is probably, like, how everyone asks that question because it's, so, it's not that common, at least not in the world that I exist in. Well, I'm not from Hawaii, like everyone always thinks. Despite the Hawaiian shirt that you're wearing right <laughs> now. <laughs> you're really trying, you're like, what, what gives you that impression, guys? Come on. <laughs> um, I guess, like, I'm a Chinese kid from, like, the suburbs of northern New Jersey, and I somehow managed to, like, start playing in, like, every guitar player in Brooklyn, like, playing in, like, some kind of alt-country band, you know, like, seven or eight years ago. And then uh, I was like, oh, I can, I can, like, do those things on guitar, kind of. And then I bought a pedal steel and then began my dark journey. Yeah, where has that journey taken you? Um, I don't know. It's taken me in my living room, in my underwear, practicing pedal steel all day long. I guess that's it. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, you've played with some... You're being modest. You've played with some pretty great names. Um, well, actually, Tim gave me... I got a surprise phone call from Tim last year. And uh, I ended up doing a couple tracks on the Nora Jones, Billy Joe Armstrong, Everly Brothers record that Tim did every single thing. You know, he played bass on, and it was amazing. Wow. That was great. That's great. And how did the three of you meet? I met Tim through my girlfriend, and uh, we ended up knowing a lot of the same people. And it took him a little while to get warmed up to me. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and Zephaniah, like, uh, he saw me play steel, and I guess we bonded over, like, classic steel guitar stuff. Is there, stuff. Is there a, uh, a rash of steel pedal guitar players in, uh, in New York, or is it, like, a, a good drummer? Like, it's hard to find. It's actually, it's more... There's a lot more good drummers. We'll see really? <laughs> there's, there's, more, there's more steel guitar players that are good than their fiddle players, I think. And, Wait, okay, uh, so what's the hierarchy? So... I, Everyone, singers first. Singers, uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Okay, singers. Good singers, right? Yeah. And then, in quantity? In quantity. Yeah. Probably guitar, more good guitar players. Oh, right. There's okay. a, a million good okay. guitar players. A million good guitar players, because everybody wants to play lead. There's, I guess, are there a lot of good drummers? Yeah. There's a lot of good drummers. What about, like, dulcimers? How many dulcimer <laughs> players are there out there? There's a lot in Bushwick, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> they and play like, six-string banjos while they're at it. So. I've seen a lot of that. And I don't know if they're good, though. 
So where do where do you sit in the? Hierarchy? I mean, uh, you can probably. I, I feel like there's probably less than twenty pedal steel guitar players. I feel in like New York, this is like your I, Tom is like your mutton guy. Like you're not going to find it googling the internet. You got to you got to get it. Oh, I, I I've got my steel guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, like I play guitar for my whole life. Yeah. I'm like okay, I'm pretty good at guitar, I guess, right? I've been doing it a long time, and then, but and but everyone still, I'm just like oh, that Chinese steel guitar player. Right. Who's not from Hawaii? Who's not from Hawaii? So how did you guys uh, decide to form the band or kind of take this route? Well, Zeth and I, right? We basically every time we would run into each other, it was like this conversation about starting a classic country band and i started doing this instrumental project called honey fingers which is like a a steel guitar telecaster crazy fast cartoony country music band instrumental and uh we decided to then back up zeph with the addition of a drummer and uh you know the rest is skinny dennis history so did you leave the drummer home today yeah, yeah, it was just, you know. Uh, Basically, I was working at Skinny Dennis, and I was hosting a night where I was DJing country records and then booked them to play, and then we actually played for the first time ever for a George Jones birthday celebration. And, uh, yeah, it's been great ever since. Wow, that's not, that's not nothing. Yeah, that's, for, that's did George Jones like it? What was it like to play for George Jones? Oh, no, and we, we had, like, I threw, like, a birthday party. Uh, I thought you meant, like, you're, like I wish. I'm going to his birthday <laughs> to play for him. Oh, man, I would, I would love to. But awesome. Nerve-wracking. Uh, do you guys want to play another song? Sure. Do you want to do one of yours, or do you want to... Yeah, let's do a brand new one. Why not? Huh? All right. This is a brand new one called uh, This Highway. It's in the key of E, if you want to hum along. Let's try that again. His steel is nervous. A one, a two, a one. This highway keeps going on and on. And time keeps moving right along I pray for good weather And for a peaceful ride And this highway keeps going on and on I spent 30 or more years on this road I have many, many stories still untold A man can never know when it's his time to go And this highway keeps going on and on
The wind's blowing soft and cool across my face, and my mind wanders back to that old place. Nothing ever lasts. It's just a moment in the past. And this highway keeps going on and on. Sometimes I stop and wonder just where I'm headed to. And this highway keeps going on and on. And this highway keeps going on and on. So great. Uh, I feel like the like country like lends itself more to like playing covers and like recognizing its heroes and past almost more than any other genre so how do you guys pick what songs you're going to cover in a night or how do you kind of build up that uh, i mean in in the old days most of the people that were country singers they they weren't even songwriters you know Mm -hmm. so they had a lot of really great uh songwriters in nashville that were basically writing the songs and as long as you had a great song and you were effaced and you could basically make a career out of it nowadays i think it's like a little different um now you have to do all all of it basically, um, but how we pick songs I mean that's the nice thing is that it's um the genre is kind of like even if you sing someone else's song and you play it like pretty straightforward the same way they did it, you're adding your own kind of touch to it just in the fact that you're playing it yourself so um, we just pick the ones that we love, I suppose. What are some of the favorites? Well, I think our first conversation was about a very famous steel guitar player. Jerry Bird, That's who right. played on like the early Hank Williams stuff, um, he ended up moving up, moving to Hawaii. He's from like Ohio, and uh, <laughs> good move. Yeah, at some point he, he wins. He he was like, well, I guess I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna. He's like the Howley guy that moved to Hawaii and had a good time, for the rest of his life. You know. <laughs> yeah, he made like it's the best decision he's ever made. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, where to kind of evolve into who? Uh... Well, they were there. Um, the band that Johnny has had for a while is Honeyfingers, which is named after a song that the Texas Troubadours, who backed up Ernest Tubb, really famous for. So with that, we just decided to do uh, a bunch of Ernest Tubb tunes and sort of sticking in that like mid '60s era that we probably like the best. Are there any um, that are like increase like? difficult to cover or just kind of hard to represent is it all pretty nightlife there's a lot of tunes that are like uh, really similar to each other but there's a couple tunes that are like you get into like that country politan kind of sound that like jazzy kind of thing like those early Willie Nelson tunes because Willie was a songwriter for 20 years almost 15 years before like 70s outlaw Willie right you know so those get a kind of you know they're not funny but they're just like not in the standard country vernacular they're they're like they stand alone as like these pieces like if anyone's familiar with uh, Wichita Lineman 
that song kind of comes out of left field, you know. Right. Um, you know, I'm going to ask if you guys can play a cover. Okay. Is there anything you guys got prepared? Sure. Yeah, we have. Of course. Let's do a Ray. You want to do a Ray Price? Yeah, song? I love Ray Price. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Who, uh, Willie Nelson was actually in Ray Price's band too for a, a long time. I think that's kind of how he got his start. Crazy Arms. Yeah. <clears throat> we got Yeah. Fuck it. He's gonna do it off. He's gonna do it off book. <laughs> <laughs> in E. Right, what do we do? Uh, we throw 15, 11? This is a walker? Yeah. yeah. You want to do 15, 11? 15, 11. 1, 5, 1. Alright. Uh, 1, a 2, a 1, two. There's a storm that's brewing in this heart of mine This ain't no crazy dream, I know that it's real You're someone else's love now, you're not mine While my yearning heart keeps saying you're not mine My trouble might not soon to another you'll be with And that's why I'm lonely all the time
You did great off book. You did amazing. <laughs> really good. <laughs> Ray Price would have been proud. Yeah. I kind of feel it's just, you know, let's go walking. Which is, I always thought it was a joke, but then you guys just talked about going walking, and there it is. Uh, so where can people come and catch, catch you guys playing? We play, we've been playing a lot of Tuesdays at Skinny Dennis. We, it's our regular night, but uh, I end up on tour a lot. Um, so we're playing this Tuesday, and then you can usually catch us instrumentally on Saturdays at the gin distillery, The Shanty in Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you like country music, honeyfingersmusic.com. Or johnnyland.com has, all those, just has, all, look up, has yeah. all those dates. Look up Zeph and I on Facebook. Yeah. And just start on a page. <laughs> like like my page. Like me, if you will. Uh, how do you guys make the, or why do you decide to go um, vocals slash or instrumental? Or like, where do you kind of draw the line for the nights? Um, when we play at Skinny Dennis, it's with Zeph singing. So those are, we do a couple instrumentals, like the way Ernest did. Ernest Tubb used to do it. It would be a bunch of instrumental, a bunch of vocal tunes and then every now and again he would let feature the band you know and so we do the similar thing and on Saturdays it's just you know it's a smaller ensemble and it's a to- almost totally different sound it's like kind of a you know it's four guys no drummer does that make any sense no it's two guitar players <laughs> a steel guitar player and a bass player so got it uh, cool well I want to thank you guys for coming on I want to make sure I get one more song in so any more other ways to find you guys track you guys dates Etc. I mean, I guess that's it, right? Find, yeah. Yeah. find me. Well, Ask well, people about the long-haired Asian steel guitar player. Yeah, that's, that's not from Hawaii. That's not from Hawaii. Uh, great. Well, Carter, I want to thank you for joining. Always a pleasure. Tom, thank you as well. Great to be here. Enjoy the second half of the book tour. Hopefully, get upstate this Hopefully, summer. Yeah, Hopefully, Hopefully, get upstate yeah. this summer. What are we playing? Um, we will be back next week uh, with episode one ninety nine, and then in two weeks we will have episode two hundred. Ooh, party with, time! With mom and dad. Uh, make sure that uh, also mark your calendars. We have the last barbecue blowout of the summer coming up. It's going to be on a Wednesday, uh, August thirteenth. Uh, we have Sushi Co as the guest chef. So if you go to BBQ blow BBQ blowout August two thousand fourteen dot eventbrite dot com. Make sure to get your tickets. Um, we're only doing a limited amount this time, and uh, I guarantee that one's going to sell out. Sounds amazing. Uh, it's going to be great music. Yeah, it's going to be great music. It's going to be awesome, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be great. Um, what are you guys going to take us out with? I think we're going to take you out with an invitation to the blues, another Ray Price tune. It's another great. Ray Price one. Thank you, Ray Price. What key do we do this one in? E flat. E flat. It's actually gonna... written by Roger Miller, I believe. Are you guys going to go walking? A little bit of a walk. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week.
Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.